0: Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy! Hello and happy day! How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor, SF Walker. I am here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise, to walk their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back to the Book of the Week series. Every week as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. and Today we look at Capitalist Realism, Is There No Alternative? by Mark Fisher. In this video we take a look at a number of inconsistencies and glitches internal to the capitalist reality program and the idea that capitalism, in fact, is anything but realistic and the price of running it is simply too high. Stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I have and use that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior? I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. Capitalism is what is left when beliefs have collapsed at the level of ritual or symbolic elaboration, and all that is left is the consumer spectator trudging through the ruins and the relics. We live in a contradiction, a brutal state of affairs, profoundly inegalitarian, where all existence is evaluated in terms of money alone, is presented to us as ideal to justify. Their conservatism, partisans of the established order, cannot really call it ideal or wonderful, so instead they have decided to say that all the rest is horrible. Sure, they say we may not live in a condition of perfect goodness, but we're lucky that we don't live in a condition of evil. Our democracy is not perfect, but it is better than the bloody dictatorship. Capitalism is unjust. But it's not criminal like Stalinism. We let millions of Africans die of AIDS, but we don't make racist, nationalist declarations like Milosevic. We kill Iraqis with our airplanes, but we don't cut their throats with machetes like they do in Rwanda, and so on. The uh, Realism here is analogous to the deflationary perspective of a depressive who believes that any positive state, any hope, is a dangerous illusion. A kind of irony feeds rather than challenges capitalist realism. A film like Wall-E exemplifies what Robert Fowler has called interpassivity. The film performs our anti-capitalism for us, allowing us to continue to consume with impunity. The role of capitalist ideology is not to make an explicit case for something in the way that propaganda does, but to conceal the fact that the operations of capital do not depend on any sort of subjectively assumed belief. It is impossible to conceive of fascism or Stalinism without propaganda, but capitalism can proceed perfectly well, in some ways even better, without anyone making a case for it. Zizek's counts remains invaluable here. If the concept of ideology is the classic one, in which the illusion is located in knowledge, he argues, then today's society must appear post-ideological. The prevailing ideology is that of cynicism. People no longer believe in ideological truth. They do not take ideological propositions seriously. The fundamental level of ideology, however, is not an illusion masking the real state of things, but that of an unconscious fantasy structuring our social reality itself. And at this level we are course, far from being a post-ideological society, blind ourselves to the structural power of the ideological fantasy, even if we do not take things seriously. Even if we keep an ironical distance, we are still doing them. So long as we believe in our hearts that capitalism is bad. We are free to continue to participate in capitalist exchange. Capital is an abstract parasite, an insatiable vampire, a zombie maker. But the living flesh it converts into death, dead labor, is ours. And the zombies it makes are us the fantasy being the Western consumerism, far from being intrinsically implicated in systemic global inequalities, could itself solve them. (laughs) All we have to do is buy the right products. The mental health plague in capitalist societies would suggest that instead of Being the only social system that works, capitalism is inherently dysfunctional, and the cost of it appearing to work is way high. But this, I want to argue, is a matter not of apathy nor of cynicism, but of reflexive impotence. They know things are bad, but more than that, they know they cannot do anything about it. But that knowledge, that reflexivity, is not a passive observation of an already existing state of affairs. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Reflexive impotence amounts to an unstated worldview amongst the young and it has its correlate in widespread pathologies. This pathologization already forecloses any possibility of politicization. By privatizing these problems, treating them as if they were caused only by chemical imbalances in the individual's neurology and or by their family background, Any question of social systemic causation is ruled out. The situation of the family in the uh, post-Fordian capitalism is contradictory and precisely the way traditional Marxism expected it. Capitalism requires a family as an essential means of reproducing and caring for labor-power. It is a slave for the psychic wounds inflicted by an anarchic social-economic conditions, even as it undermines it, reducing time parents spend with children and putting enormous stress on them. Economical conflict, raging, cannot but have casualties. Marazzi is researching, researching the link between the bipolar disorders and the post Fordism. And if, as Deleuze and Guattari argue, that schizophrenia is the condition that marks the outer edges of capitalism, then bipolar disorder is the mental illness proper to the interior of capitalism. With its ceaseless boom and bust, boom and bust cycles. Capital is itself fundamentally and irreducibly bipolar, periodically lurking between hyped up mania, the irrational exuberance of bubble thinking, and depressive calm down. The term economic depression is no accident, of course. A degree unprecedented in any other social system, capitalism both feeds on and reproduces the moods of populations without delirium and confidence. Capital could not function. How could it ever be possible for us to believe successive or even coextensive stories that so obviously contradict? one another, yet we know from Kant, Nietzsche, and the psychoanalysis that waking as much as dreaming experience depends upon just such screening narratives. If the real is unbearable, and in reality we construct must be a tissue of inconsistencies, what differentiates Kant, Nietzsche, Freud? from the tiresome cliché that life is but a dream is the sense that the confabulations we live are consensual. The idea that the world we experience is a solipsistic delusion projected from the interior of our mind rather than disturbs us since it conforms with our infantile fantasies of, of, of omnipotence. But the thought that our so-called interiority oh, its existence to a functionalized consensus will always carry an uncanny charge, in conditions where realities and identities are upgraded like software. It is not surprising that memory disorders should have become the focus of cultural anxiety. The specter of big government plays an essential libidinal function for capitalist realism. It is there to be blamed precisely for its failure to act as a centralizing power. The anger directed at it. much. Like the furry Thomas Hardy supposedly spat at the god for not existing, time and again James Meek observed in the LRB piece on water privatization in Britain, conservative and labor governments have discovered that when they give powers to private companies and those private companies screw up, the voters blame the government. For giving the powers away, rather than the companies for misusing them. In general, there is a more hostility towards the government, the Council, and the Environment Agency for not stopping house builders than there is towards house builders for building houses, or buyers for buying them. When insurers raise their premiums. More blame is directed at the government for not spending enough on flood defenses than it is at the insurers for raising the premiums, or at people who choose to live in a flood-prone valley but do not like paying extra for it. Here's the modifying cocoon of corporate structure, which deadens as it protects and hollows out absence. The manager ensures that the attention is always displaced, ensures that they cannot listen. The delusion that many who enter into management with high hopes is precisely that they, the individual, can change things, that they will not repeat what their managers had done, that things will be different this time. But watch someone step into management, and it's usually not very long before the gray petrification of power starts to subsume them. Children are in a state of objection. They are unable to recognize their own interests, unable to apprehend either the causes of their actions. Or they're usually the effects, but the problems that the super nanny confronts do not arise from the actions or character of the children, who can only be expected to be idiotic hedonists. But with the parents, it is the parents, following of the trajectory of the pleasure principle, the path of least resistance that causes most of the misery in the families, a pattern that quickly becomes familiar, the pattern that patterns pursue easy life, and it leads them to accede to their children's every demand, which become increasingly tyrannical. God does not condemn Adam for eating the apple, because the action is wrong. He tells him that he should not consume the apple because it will poison him. This demotizes the termination of the father function. An act is wrong, not because daddy says so. Daddy only says it's wrong because performing the act will be harmful to us. What we see instead is a reductive, hedonistic model of health. Which is all about feeling and looking good. To tell people how to lose weight or how to decorate their house is acceptable, but to call for any kind of cultural improvement is to be oppressive and elitist. Elitism and oppression cannot coexist in the notion that a third party might know someone's interests. Better than they know it themselves, since presumably smokers are deemed either to be unaware of their interests or incapable of acting in accordance with them. No, the problem is that only certain types of interest are deemed relevant, since they reflect values that are held to be consensual, make clear. The effects that predominate in late capitalism are fear and cynicism. These emotions do not inspire bold thinking or entrepreneurial leaps. They breed conformity and the cult of the minimal variation. The turning out of products, which very closely resemble those that are already successful. All that is real. Is the individual and their families without a credible and a coherent alternative to capitalism? Capitalist realism will continue to rule the political economic unconscious in the unthinking, blindly consensual culture in which we live in. Critical and engaged theoretical reflection. Is more important than ever before. And there you have it capitalist realism. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it too and spread the word. Leave a comment and do share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below. So buy it and read. Never stop learning especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website. Find out what actually motivates you, what innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management even further, do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and Respect.